The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll read 19 through 22. If you're using the Bible underneath your chair, it's on page 917. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, and then 19 through 22. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even as we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we stated last week, uh, coming out of uh, the gift of the sabbatical that you guys gave me, um, if you remember, we were preaching through the gospel of Luke leading up to that, and we're going to be going back into Luke here in a couple of weeks. But before we did that, we wanted to turn our attention to this little five-part sermon series where we are turning to the Word of God in order to understand what it means to be everyday disciples, to understand that to be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus, that our followership isn't a two hour on a Sunday morning kind of thing, but it is a 24-7. It's a six hour, six days and 22 hours beyond here, but it is also here. And so what does that look like though? Grasping the fact that for most of us, um, we will confess Jesus readily. We know with absolute certainty that we have been saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we struggle to know what the everydayness of our discipleship looks like in those six days and 22 hours in between our gathering times here on a Sunday morning. And so we are turning to these gospel-shaped identities. Last week, this idea that we are worshipers, today turning to this idea that we are in a family. And so that's the sermon title this morning, I Am in a Family, and the main idea comes down to this, that this idea of being in God's family, to use Pauline language, we are in the household of God, we are members of His family. It's all about being children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at what does that mean to be in the family of God because we have been saved, become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And notice the and then. Well, what does that mean if you are a child of God? It means you've been adopted into God's family. And this means you now have brothers and you have sisters and you have been united together by one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, the unity of the spirit that binds us together together. 
And so we're going to learn, well, what does this mean? And then how does this work itself out practically beyond uh, these two hours of a gospel gathering with our Jesus family on a Sunday morning? What could this look like in the next six days and 22 hours and then on repeat? So like we do, we're going to pause and we're going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray really for yourself to be able to hear clearly from God's word. Um, as you've heard this morning, the reason why we pray is because we need help. Stubbornness and pride can um, keep us from drawing near to the Lord. Because in the foolishness of self-assurance, we try to tell ourselves we can do this on our own. Insert whatever you want for this. Christian life, my, my marriage, parenting, my work, whatever it is. And so this is an opportunity for us just to pause before we spend some time together hearing from the Word of God to go to the Lord in dependence and in help. For some of us, it might just be this, Lord, I need you to help me to stay awake right now. For some of us, it might mean I need help from you, Lord, to see why these words make sense. Like, why should I even care about what you have to say to me from Ephesians 2? For some of us, it just might be this, I need you to help my unbelief. For some of us, it might be I need help in being obedient to you as the Lord. For some of us, it might just be, I need your help in understanding and grasping that there's never a wrong time to start doing the right thing. There are hearts here today who have experienced a lot of life in the last six days and 22 hours, amen? And I have no clue where any of you are at. But God the Spirit does. And so my encouragement is in the next couple of seconds here is to go, pray, ask, Spirit, would you make these words leap off the page and meet me in this place this morning? Does this make sense? All right, so I'm going to pause, give you a chance to pray, and then I'll pray, okay? So go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for his help. Lord, I just heard a little voice in the back saying, thank you. And so I'm going to take their words and put their words in my mouth to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. Thank you, Jesus, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, redemption accomplished. Thank you, Spirit, for applying it to our account so that we could be right with the Father. Thank you that you meet us and you help. So Lord, if some of us were only barely able to squeak out a four-letter word prayer, help, Lord, would you bring the assurance right now that you have heard that prayer and that you are faithful to meet us through the proclamation of the word of God. Help me, Lord Jesus, to proclaim with faithfulness the text. Would you empower me by the Spirit to do so, so that through the preaching of this message, this word, that faith would come to rest, not on some mere 
verbiage that's going to come out of my mouth, but faith would come and rest on the power of God, Christ Jesus himself. It's in your name, King Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. So again, here's where we are so far in this sermon series. Second week out of five, and what we've done is we've really made a statement and we've asked a question, okay? Last week, we acknowledged that many of us can say with absolute confidence here this morning, listen, I know that I am right with God. I know that I am right with God because I have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, period. You're not resting on anything else. Your hope of salvation, your hope of right standing is anchored firmly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for this reason, you can say then with confidence, I am a genuine disciple, a genuine follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we said after this statement, we acknowledge that many of us with those words dangling in the air will also simultaneously breathe out this idea like, but I've got questions like, what does this look like in everyday life? And we don't often know how to connect the two. We wrestle and we struggle and we're just not sure how our discipleship works itself out in everyday life. And that can just be true for any number of reasons. In other words, what we struggle with is we know that we have been made a disciple. We have gone from unbelief to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's that period of after salvation, that sanctification, that growth in Jesus period of life that is your period of life as a Christian until the day you die or Jesus comes riding back on the clouds. Like we're, Sometimes we just struggle with like what does this belief in Jesus and this continuing ever-increasing growth growing deeper in Jesus, like just what does this look like and how does this work itself out in everyday life? Oftentimes this struggle to connect the two is because we just aren't sure what a thriving everyday disciple looks like. It's the old adage, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. And so sometimes we just don't know what the Bible says about what a thriving everyday disciple looks like. And so this five-week sermon series, before we get into Luke, is me seeking to serve you and to serve myself from the Word of God, saying we don't have to have like a a nothing kind of bullseye in front of us. We can have very specific, from God's word, biblically informed, here's what God says an everyday disciple looks like kind of bullseye in front of us. Last week, worshiper. This week, it's this idea that I am in a family if I know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so where we need to begin in order to start wrapping our minds around understanding what it means to be in the household of God, to be a part of the Jesus family, is we need to first embrace point number one, how God makes us his children. So how do we even become children of God? How do we even go and from being in Satan's household, so to speak, to being transplanted out of that into the household of God. How do we become God's children? If you go to the prologue of the Gospel of John, the Apostle John tells us how Jesus, the true light, made it possible for sinners to become the children of God. In John chapter 1, verse 11, the Apostle John said that Jesus came to his own, 
And his own people did not receive him. But listen to this language. Listen to this family type language that John uses to describe how someone becomes a Christian. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, here it is, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood. They weren't born of the will, they weren't born of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but notice they were born of God, born of God. You see, to be a child of God, according to the gospel of John, one must be born of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Whenever the Bible calls someone a child of God, it doesn't couch this identity in terms of natural birth. This is what the Apostle John was saying when he wrote that the children of God are those born not of blood. This isn't a natural birth thing. It's not born of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man. Again, not natural birth, but instead it's born of God, spiritual birth. So while the right to become a child of God has nothing to do with natural birth, notice it has everything to do with something called the new birth. Being born again. That's what the Bible calls this idea of new birth, being born again. It is those who have received Jesus and believed in his name as a result of God causing them to be born again who are given this identity, who are given this right to become the children of God. And the reason we must be born of God is because we come into this world dead in sin. You see, sin-dead men and women are not part of God's family. We come out of the womb into this world dead in sin. Translation, we come out of the womb into this world not in God's family because we are dead in sin. But listen to this, to be outside of God's family doesn't mean we are spiritual orphans. You understand what I'm saying there? When we come out of the womb, dead in sin, into this world, it's not like my family identity is just sort of this neutral, ethereal, I'm just sort of floating, I'm neither in God's family and I'm in no one's family, I'm just sort of like in this neutral, familial state. That's not the case. It's not like we are part of no spiritual family before we are brought into God's family through faith in Jesus. And that's because every person falls into one of two families. If you just want to strip all of humanity down to its most basic uh, identity through family language, it's this. Either I am outside of Christ, thus I am a member in the family of Satan... Or I am in Christ, thus I am a member in the family of God. You are either a child of God or you are, as we heard this morning from our scripture reading, you are a child of wrath. You're either sons of God or sons of disobedience. You see, in his letter to the Ephesian Christians, the Apostle Paul runs the good news of God's saving grace through the grid of family. That's how he's speaking to these Christians in the city of Ephesus. He's running this 
saving grace that can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ through this family new birth grid when he speaks to them and reminds them in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 2 that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What that means is this, is that you are following the course of this world. You are following the prince of the power of the air. That's just another term for Satan himself. The spirit that is now at work in the, notice the phrase, the familial family language phrase, sons of disobedience. So to be dead in trespasses and sins is to be a son, daughter of disobedience. To be a son, daughter of disobedience is to be dead in trespasses and sins. This is a description of what it means to be a member in the household of Satan. Dead in sin, a disciple of this world, a devotee to the dark prince and his demonic kingdom. Apart from the new birth, our family tree has its roots in the prince of the power of the air, thus making us sons and daughters of disobedience. And the sobering reality is that the familial connection, the family connection to Satan and his dark kingdom, it is universal describing every person everywhere who is outside of Christ. For Paul says in Verse 3 of Ephesians 2, we, A-L-L, all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We all were those carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were all thus, by nature, family language, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But praise God that Paul's letter to the Ephesians did not stop at Ephesians 2, verse 3. Amen? <laughs> praise God that the two most hope-infusing words that could possibly be stitched together, starting in verse 4, are the words, but God. Amen? But God. But God shows up, and but God did something so that those who have their family roots, spiritual family roots, anchored in Satan's household can be transplanted out, transferred into the good news family of God. Praise be to God the Father that he did something in order to deliver us from this familial domain of darkness and to bring us into a new family where forgiveness of sin and redemption paid in full prevail in that family. Verses 4 and 5, for this God being rich in mercy, not stingy in mercy, rich, lavish, extravagant in his mercy. Because of his microscopic, minuscule love that he doles out in little eye drops. Because of his great, original language word behind great is the word mega, mega love flowing from the Father through the Son to sin dead sinners who need to be transferred from one family into the next. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, this rich in mercy and great in love, God made us alive together with Christ. Notice here again, Paul will not let go of this new birth family kind of language. 
Notice the language of new birth used by Paul. Once dead in sin, but now alive. You were dead, now alive. That's birthing kind of language. This is what it means to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. This is the new birth that is necessary for someone to move from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. So the inevitable question comes, have you been born again? Has this being born of God happened to you? Have you received the new birth necessary to be called a child of God? You're not a child of God, according to Ephesians and elsewhere in the Scripture, because you go to church. You're not in the household of God because you were baptized once. You're not in the household of God because you own a Bible or because you pray a prayer or you go to a community group or grandma loved Jesus and pursued him or any of these things. You are in the household of God, a child of God, if you have been born again. And the question is, have you been born again, receiving Jesus and believing in his name for your salvation? If you've come to the place where you can say yes to these questions, then with extreme joy in heart and in mind, you can step back and know this. God caused me to be born again in such a way where the response to the new birth that he gave to me is this. I looked to Christ. I cast my hope of salvation on him. I received, I believed, and now I have the right to be called a child of God because God acted toward me and saved me and called me to be a family member in his household. You see, if you can say, yes, I have been born again, then now is a time to rejoice and praise God in your seats. But if you're like, nah, I don't, I don't know that that's language that could describe me. If this is not you, then I ask you to ask God to do so. Pray right now. You don't hear a pastor say this often or a preacher, but I'm giving you permission to tune me out and talk to God right now. Ask him to bring you from death and sin to life in Christ. The very fact that you are aware of your need right now in this moment to where like you're hearing these questions from me and you're saying, like, yeah, I, I don't know if that's true of me. And your mind and your heart are beginning to ponder these things. The fact that you're pondering these things and not just stiff arming these truths is a sign that the Father is at work in your life. But if you have been born of God, then I want you to consider this. I want you to consider the beauty of this thought. Now that God has made you one of his children, guess what this means? This means, point number two, that God has adopted you into his family. You're in the household of God now. You're an adoptee in, you're a son or you're a daughter, sort of the older brother is Jesus and all of his rights and all of his privileges. Like we now get an inheritance that we don't deserve, but it's lavishly bestowed to us. Why? Because we've been adopted in by the saving power of the living God. 
Remember what we said, main idea, that family is all about being children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we've just been talking about. But then what we need to see is this, is that to be a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ means that you are now adopted into God's family. You now have fellow spiritual brothers and sisters in this family, and you are united to one another by the Holy Spirit that lives in you and lives in you and lives in me and lives in you. And that's the beautiful picture of unity that we find in the family of God. Notice I didn't say uniformity, but unity amongst the diverse kaleidoscope of people but all united by the common denominator. Once was dead, now alive. God save me. That makes you my brother and sister, if you can also say, God also saved you. You see, our God and Father offers forgiveness, and he brings to all those in Christ a home, a new, glorious, and beautiful home through his adopting power. The combination of God's rich mercy and his great love applied to our account means we are no longer outside the family. We no longer are without a home, no longer without a father to look out for us. Instead, we are children with all the rights and the intimacy that goes along with a father-child relationship. Romans 8, 14 through 16, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are, family language, Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, family language, the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, family language, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that, family language, we are what? Children of God. And not only that, but we are told in Ephesians that this was God's plan. God's plan to adopt a motley gang of sinners into his family as co-heirs with Jesus. For God the Father, Ephesians 1.5, predestined us for, family language, adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. With an extravagant display of free grace, guess what? We now have a seat at the Father's table. You didn't earn it. Came to you. Free grace. But you are now seated at the table. And guess who you're seated at the table with? You're seated at the table with all the other former sons and daughters of disobedience. (laughs) That's the beauty, by the way, of gathering on a Sunday morning. Like as gospel pilgrims, the sojourn life through this world until we meet Jesus coming on clouds, die to meet him. Like this journey is a journey where we need to gather together on a Sunday morning. Think of your gospel pilgrimage and your Sunday morning gathering sort of like pulling into a gas station on a road trip. You need to be refueled. 
And one of the ways that God in his kindness has given us as a means to refuel ourselves with gospel gasoline, so to speak, is to come here gathered on a Sunday morning. So, family language, you can pull up to the table, sit with others who are also seated at the table. You can look left and you can look right and go, you were once a son of disobedience, yes, but now I'm a son of the king and I'm seated at his table. Jesus saved me. That's why I have the privilege to come here. You can look and say, you were once a daughter of disobedience. Yes, I was, and, but, but Jesus showed up, and Jesus saved me, and he caused me to be born again, and I've been adopted into the family. One of the ways gospel fuel is poured into our souls, and we're reminded of the grace and the mercy of the Savior is to remember by looking left and looking right on a Sunday morning, man, I'm surrounded by people who know Jesus, have been saved by Jesus have been folded into the family of God who are adoptees just like me. That's the beauty of gathering on a Sunday morning and remembering these things. I am part of a crew of people who know one another as Jesus' family members, and we can say, I once was but God, and now I'm completely different. That's beautiful. That's why church isn't just probably what many of us grew up struggling with. For me, growing up, church was just like that thing that my family did. And most of us, if we grew up in church, that's probably where it eventually like devolved into. I'm doing my best right now to try to help you see like church just isn't that thing where you just try to like muster yourself into so you can get there and just be like, yeah, I guess I need to listen to somebody talk and I guess I probably should sing some songs and I, if I have to, I'll turn around in my chair and pray with others. No. The gathering of the saints. Remember what we talked about worshiper. Worshiper identity and family identity are intimately intertwined. Because we once worshipped everything but God and robbed him of his glory, and Jesus has saved us, and now we have been freed up to be able to not rob glory but be glory givers, we can gather here on a Sunday and we can remind one another of the grace and the mercy that we've been given and we can fuel and fan into flame the pursuit of Jesus all by showing up at 1220 Outer Park Drive for two hours from 10 to noon on a Sunday. See, that that makes this a little bit different, doesn't it? In a beautiful way. In the way that I think Jesus meant for the gathering of the saints to be. This is why the Apostle Paul noticed when you go to the back end of Ephesians 2 and you start getting into verses 19 and 20 and so on, notice this. This is why the Apostle Paul says what he says at the end of Ephesians there. Notice verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but what are you now? You are what? Fellow citizens with the saints and family language, members of the household of God. Notice he didn't say member. The singular and plural is very important right here. Members. He wants the Ephesian Christians and subsequently you and me to see that you are not a single child in God's family. You have other siblings. God bless them and God love them. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's hard to love those other siblings. But you have other siblings in the family of God. Members of the household of God. Listen, beloved, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are God's children. That was our call to worship this morning from 1 John. And what this means for an everyday disciple is that I am now part of a spiritual family that's bigger than any blood family could ever be. And just like you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 
so too have your fellow spiritual siblings been sealed with the exact same Holy Spirit. And for that reason, the tie that unites us together is not some fake tie that we're trying to force and manufacture. It's a tie that comes from above. But here's what's also true about life in a Jesus family. Life among fellow adoptees, it can just be hard. Yeah? Anyone ever sort of rubbed up against a fellow Jesus family adoptee and it was like, oh man, that was just sort of hard or that was awkward. And the reason why that can be the case at times is because God's family is made up of dysfunctional saints who still sin. Yeah? You have any dysfunction in your earthly family at home? You're all a bunch of liars around here, man. You need to repent and believe right now. (laughs) You got dysfunction, man. Don't be lying to me. It's no different in the Jesus family. Why? Because all of us are in some point on the trajectory, if we're in Christ, how do we describe someone who's been made a disciple? They're a maturing disciple now. They're at some point in between belief in Jesus to ever-increasing maturity in Jesus until the day they die or Christ comes back. And all of us are at some, some point on the graph on that trajectory. Some of us are mature, some of us are immature, and our immaturity can rub people the wrong way, and we can trip others up, and we can say stupid things, and we can say we'll do something. There's a whole host of dysfunctions that can manifest themselves in a Jesus family. God's family isn't a club of uniformity. Praise be to God. It's by his design. But like you all aren't miniature copies of me. Right? There's a reason why the Bible uses this language, not only in family language and body language. The beauty of your physical body is you're not a giant elbow. That would be ridiculous. And it'd be dumb. Nobody wants to see a giant elbow walking around. But you're made up of multiple parts. Elbows, knees, toes, joints, ligaments, veins. Not uniformity, but unity. Amongst a pretty diverse group of people sitting in front of me. So God's family is not a club of uniformity. Everyone looks the same, acts like you, and thinks your thoughts. Friends who we thought would be friends snub us. And I'm talking about this is all in Jesus family stuff, okay? We pose and pretend that life is great. We ask how you're doing, and you say, I'm doing great, while your life is a dumpster fire. We put on plastic personalities. We post tweets. We put our best foot forward. Family member in the Jesus family might love someone enough to actually go and talk to them about something like this and choose to not talk about them, yet in that conversation, feelings still get hurt. Conflict emerges, selfishness can show up, college student, retiree, blue-collar worker, white-collar worker, varying cultural, social, ethnic, economic backgrounds. The potential for family life to get sideways in the Jesus family is huge, yeah? I mean, just look around you. None of us are the same. Getting wrapped around the axle about crazy things is crazy easy in the Jesus family. The Jesus family we've been adopted into is diverse, and if our diversity isn't tempered by, Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 4, the eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit, it will result in heartbreak. 
And in moments like these, temptations abound for people to bail on their local Jesus family for the same reason they bail on anything in life. It's hard. Yeah? Sometimes things get hard, and we're just like, I'm out. Eject, eject, eject. Blow out the top. I'm done. But if Jesus has called us to anchor roots in a Jesus family, I guarantee you it's not if but when someone rubs you wrong. How are you going to handle that? Are you going to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Or is it going to be like, dude, utopia has been blown out. This is not what I thought it was. I'm out. The temptation is great for this. But notice, oddly enough, one of the ways we battle this eject, eject kind of temptation is to actually move toward mutual commitment to one another. You see, it's a certainty that broken people will hurt one another. And without a real sense of commitment to one another, there's just no reason to suspect that community will last. But by committing yourself to a local Jesus family, what you're doing is you are committing to a body of people that is in turn saying, I'm going to commit to you. And this isn't just about going to church, right? So that gospel fuel gets poured into our souls as we gather, but this starts to carry itself out into the next six days and the next 22 hours. That's how the everydayness of our family identity begins to manifest itself. We're not just family for two hours on a Sunday morning. If you are anchored in this lowercase f family, Jesus family, called Delta Church, your familial connection, because you are united in the Jesus capital F family by grace through faith in Christ, means your family identity with this group of believers and beyond, it carries out into everyday life. So this isn't just about going to church. If you're hearing me say this, then you're hearing me wrong. This is about just being faithful to the gospel. Remember, as an everyday disciple, we've been adopted into a global capital F Jesus family. And a tangible expression of our adoption into the global Jesus family is that we in turn anchor ourselves in a local Jesus family where we joyfully take responsibility for one another, recognizing that the commitment that God has made to me through the sacrifice of his son, that turns and drives my commitment and sacrifice for you. That's how the gospel of Jesus informs family identity. It's me looking at Tom and saying, Tom, you've been adopted in the family. I've been adopted in the family. Jesus served you by dying on the cross for you. He served me by dying on the cross for me. How can I care for you? You say, how can I care for you? And that's not just from 10 to noon on Sunday. Tangibly and practically, this commitment to a body of believers, commitment to a Jesus lowercase f family, it begins broadly with church membership, anchoring roots in a Jesus family. But then it furthers out into community groups. It furthers out into discipleship groups where we live out our identity as family in close proximity. For some of us, it might just be the reason we don't see thriving, flourishing growth in our family identity 
is because the only time we're ever around the family is for two hours on a Sunday. And the only time we're ever around family for those two hours on a Sunday, how much do you actually get to know your other fellow adoptees? It'd be like saying, I am a vigorous, thriving, flourishing family member in the Davis household. How often do you see him? Two hours for Thanksgiving once a year. Oh, yeah, you might have a right at the table, technically, Jonathan, since you are a Davis and you're going to be there, but like, I don't know if I would use the adjectives thriving and flourishing <laughs> in the front there. Now, it's like, well, how, like, how, why would you say you're thriving and flourishing in the Davis household? It's because, man, like, I eat, sleep, breathe with these people. Like, we're doing chores, and we're doing life, or we're doing discipline, and we're doing encouragement. Like, it's in, it's out. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Rinse and repeat. So for some of us, it just might be that the reason our family identity isn't flourishing or we're not able to quite see how the family identity connects to the next six days and 22 hours is because just practically we've made decisions to not be around the Jesus family. And so maybe the spirit right now is just plopping some thoughts into your mind right now. Well, what does that mean? For us at Delta, it means CGs and DGs. CG is a community group, and a DG is a discipling group. And so we gather on Sundays, but then we scatter out as family into these various parts of the city in various stages of life, in various situations, highs and lows, and everywhere in between. And we gather in CGs, families of Eight, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight families getting together, but then we are also fighting for women to meet together in smaller groups of twos and threes and men to meet together in smaller groups of twos and threes, what we call DGs, so that way family life can get real. Yeah? It's only Uncle Harold who's, you know, two fries short of a Happy Meal that shows up at Thanksgiving and airs out all of his grievances for that one day a year. And nobody likes Harold, by the way. Don't, don't go off and be Harold. But it's real life where people love one another in real life biological family where it's just like, man, I'm telling you my struggles and you're telling me your struggles. I'm telling you my wins. You're telling me my wins. And we grow in those ways, okay? So practically, what does this mean? How can we evaluate ourselves as everyday disciples? How are we doing with this? I want to give you three words, a couple quick definitions, then we're done. Here's the answer. We can evaluate ourselves by recognizing as it relates to the Jesus family, I'm either committed, casual, or cut off. Those are the three words you can write down for the note takers. If you're cut off from the Jesus family, it's either because you have never really trusted in Jesus and been adopted into the family of God, right? So like what we talked about in the first part of the sermon just hasn't happened to you. So like biblically speaking, like you're not in the family, so you are truly cut off because you're spiritually in Satan's family, but you need to be transferred, redeemed into the family of God. Or it could be this, that, yes, I am a follower, I am an adoptee, but you deny your faith by your actions through rejecting God's family, the church. It's just decisions and priorities that you prioritize over being anchored in the Jesus family. And you just, you're cut off because you've made that decision to do so. But maybe you're like, yeah, that's not really quite me. Or maybe it's just this. Maybe you're casual as it relates to the Jesus family. A tangible commitment in a local Jesus family is treated like a buffet. You show up, you take and choose what you like and when you like, but you never give and never contribute. 
Perhaps today God is opening your eyes to reveal your casual approach to life in a local Jesus family. And if he's doing so, one, praise God, because that means the living God is working in your life right now. And that's a beautiful thing. And if the living God is doing so, he's doing this as an invitation to come and rest in him as he matures you into a thriving everyday disciple who sees their family identity growing and maturing, okay? Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm not cut off, I'm not casual. Maybe by God's grace and his mercy, you find yourself committed. And like everything in life that matters, guess what? Commitment requires discipline, doesn't it? Like if you're going to commit to something, it's you basically saying equal sign discipline in my life. I'm going to discipline myself to say yes to certain things, discipline myself to say no to certain things so I can go do what I said I would be committed to do. And if we're going to have a vibrant life in God's family, we need to be intentional about that commitment. And the good news is, is that Jesus doesn't slap you on the back and say, I sure hope you know how to figure that out. Jesus, be committed. You're on your own. Woo, looks hard. It's not what he does. The good news is that if the Holy Spirit is leading you to see, like, man, like, there's room to mature here. By the power of the Holy Spirit, know this, it is possible to thrive as a committed Jesus family member. Praise God. Like, this isn't a pipe dream. You can, right now, starting today, experience thriving, flourishing pursuit of Jesus. Anybody here not want to do that? Thriving, flourishing, ooh, gross, don't want that. And no hands. Anybody here want to experience thriving and flourishing six days, 22 hours, two hours gathered, 24-7, pursuit of Jesus, thriving and flourishing? Yeah? Sign me up on that list. If you're hearing me say, now beat it, get out there and try really hard to do it, you're not hearing what I'm saying. If you hear me saying, cast yourself on the living God and ask him for help to empower you to do so, then you're hearing me rightly. Amen? All right, let's pray. King Jesus, it is obvious that we need you. And it is obvious that the Christian life is not a grin and bear it, white knuckle it, bite the bullet, Jesus slap on the back. Man, I sure hope, brother, sister, you know how to figure this out in, in my family. But it's the elder brother saying, you can know and experience this in real life and let me show you how you can find the help you need in me. So Jesus, lead us to cast all things on you. Lord, help us to evaluate sincerely where we are right now cut off, casual, committed. Someone is here who says, like, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, like, I'm cut off, cut off, like, I'm not even in the family. Lord, would you draw them, save them, transplant them into your family today. Would today be the day of salvation? It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray all these things. And God's people said, amen.